0: Diary. Diary. Radio. Prisons and jails are some of the most secretive institutions in America. In 2016, they held nearly 2.2 million adults behind bars. If that were a city, it would be the United States' fifth largest, right behind Chicago and Houston.
1: That's a huge community of people that no one hears from and no one truly understands what they've experienced, but yet we want them to get out and be completely like everyone else.
0: How can journalists, who are often touted as a voice for the voiceless, work to amplify the voices of inmates and hear from them firsthand? That's what we'll be exploring on this week's episode. Eli Hager, a staff writer at The Marshall Project, discusses the nonprofit's Life Inside feature that highlights first-person essays from inmates and people close to the criminal justice system.
2: Part of that is just understanding that people who have actually experienced something are often the most knowledgeable about it.
0: Next, Shaheen Pasha and Razvan Sabi, senior lecturers in UMass Amherst Journalism Department, walk us through their prison journalism course. Their class pairs university students with inmates at the local jail to tell stories from inside and out. For some inmates, the college course showed them a path forward.
3: And we've heard from more than one guy from the inside that said, I never thought I could do this. College was not on my radar and never would have been. But now I'm considering, once I get out, I'm considering maybe going to a community college.
0: I'm Tessa Weinberg, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Founded in 2014, The Marshall Project is a nonprofit news organization focused on investigating the U.S. criminal justice system. So it's only natural that part of its coverage includes hearing from inmates.
2: Prisons are such a closed-off system. The difficulty of making public records requests, the resistance of a lot of prison officials to sunlight coming in, it's just been shrouded in a lot of secrecy for a long time. And so it's difficult for people on the outside to do the best possible reporting without talking to the people who are actually in there. So we kind of wanted to enlist people inside prisons to be our amateur reporters and to write about what they've seen.
0: That's Eli Hager, a staff writer at the Marshall Project and the coordinator of the weekly Life Inside series, which is published in collaboration with Vice News. It's one of the site's most popular features, Eli said. The main requirement of the first-person essays is that they're written by someone involved with the criminal justice system.
2: It'll be everything from a person who's in solitary confinement describing the sense of isolation and loneliness that you feel in solitary confinement to a prosecutor who's describing the toughest call that she has to make to a victim's family saying she's going to drop a case to a prisoner's family member talking about the kind of shame and embarrassment that she has to feel when she's searched on the way into a visit. Just everything to do with what life is like in prison, the good and the bad and the ugly.
0: But in order to reach incarcerated writers, Eli has to get creative.
2: We put out our calls for submissions in a lot of prison magazines and newsletters, including prison legal news and those kinds of newspapers, and those go out to prisons nationwide.
0: The calls for submission always include what the Marshall Project is looking for, the pay and word count, and they keep the scope focused.
2: We usually say specifically that we're looking for Specific targeted anecdotes about prison experience that would shed light on what life is like inside, rather than people telling us their whole life story or going on a street about the prison industrial complex or those kinds of things.
0: They also connect with inmates over email, while not all prisons have access. Service providers like JPay and Corelinks allow inmates to communicate with the outside for a fee.
2: It's very state by state in the federal system. Most of the prisoners have access to Corelinks. They have to request that you connect with them first before they can send you emails. In the state systems, it really depends on the state and even the prison, whether they have JPay access.
0: And Eli also finds writers through established prison writing programs. He estimates he's reached out to over 100 nationwide. Some of the programs have produced accomplished writers who have gone on to publish books and contribute to national outlets, including the Marshall Project. But finding inmates interested in writing is only the first step. Communication is challenging, no matter the medium. Many prisons search snail mail entering and leaving the facility.
2: We haven't seen any mail get changed and then sent on to us, but we have had situations where somebody thought they had submitted something to us, but then it never makes it to us, and it seems to be because the prison mail room has blocked it, and we never really get an explanation for that.
0: Even after establishing a channel of communication with an inmate, maintaining that contact can be difficult. Sometimes, after corresponding with an inmate about an essay, Eli would just stop hearing back.
2: It's not always clear why. Sometimes it seems to be just that we've come back at them with revision ideas and we want them to do a lot more work on their essay and it might be too much work. I think a lot of beginning writers, you know, incarcerated or not, they really work hard on something, but then when they hear that the editors want them to change it all around and do a second draft and everything, they get a little discouraged.
0: Other times, there isn't a clear explanation.
2: Sometimes they may have moved prisons, and we try to make sure that we're still mailing them at the right address. There's a lot of chaos and disorganization in prison systems.
0: Luckily, most states maintain online portals that allow people to search for prisoners, making it easier to keep track of transfers. For the writers who do stay in touch, there's always a risk that what they share could have consequences
2: people are describing conditions of confinement and they can get in trouble for describing what goes on inside prisons and we kind of have to take that into account.
0: If someone is writing about an alleged incident that happened on a certain date involving a specific officer, Eli does his best to run the facts by corrections officials to make sure those details check out. But he can't always confirm what happens behind bars.
2: We generally respect writer's knowledge of their own situation in the sense that if they say that it's okay to publish something, then we generally believe them that it's okay.
0: And sometimes, if a story isn't the right fit for a Life Inside feature, it can be a lead for an investigative piece.
2: But if they're making an allegation against a prison official or making an allegation of some kind of abuse that's going on in a prison, we need to make triple sure that publishing it isn't going to end up getting them thrown in solitary confinement or punished in some other way or at least make sure that they're aware that those consequences could exist.
0: Arthur Longworth is an inmate serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for a murder he committed in 1985. He's also a six-time PEN America Prison Writing Award winner and one of the Marshall Project's contributing writers.
2: And at one point, he got a book published by having his writing teacher smuggle out the manuscript and take it to a publisher against the wishes of the prison authorities.
0: That smuggled manuscript turned into his novel, Zek, which follows an inmate through a day in prison. While fictional, the book portrays the prison and administration in a brutal light. And Arthur's writing has come with a price.
2: As he's been publishing these essays for us and after he got that book published... He's been retaliated against in a number of different ways by the Washington State prison system. They put him in solitary confinement at one point. They kicked him out of the college program at one point. They kicked him out of his job at another point. They blocked his JPEG, email access, various things like that.
0: The prison system also blocked Arthur from submitting an essay to the Marshall Project in early 2018. The entry, written by hand on line notebook paper, detailed Arthur's life as an incarcerated writer. In slanted print, he wrote, Like the majority of prisoners with a long-term sentence, I was sent here when I was young. I've been in so long now that I can remember a dream I had last month better than what it was like to be outside prison. I don't have even a single, unincarcerated, adult memory. When prisons try to interfere, Eli relies on the power of the press. First, he double-checks that the writer wants to keep working with the Marshall Project despite potential consequences from the prison. Arthur made it clear he did, Eli said.
2: And the other thing we did is we actually wrote a story about it. We wrote a story about how this writer has been published widely, but that he's being punished for trying to exercise his First Amendment rights. And that's the most we can do as reporters, is just kind of report on what's happening.
0: With technology changing the landscape of prisons, there's more tools than ever to reach inmates from email to tablets with limited internet access to contraband cell phones. Still, it takes creativity and a special approach to audience engagement to make sure the millions of inmates behind bars are being reached.
2: We've definitely had a number of our stories published in prison legal news so that people in prison can read them, because they're obviously a very important audience for us. When we're working on stories, we put ads in prison publications saying, has anybody had this kind of experience? Has anybody had that kind of experience? to try to generate interest from people in prison and stories from people in prison.
0: Sometimes, inmates can't even read the articles they write for the Marshall Project because of restricted internet access. In those cases, they often ask Eli to send a URL for the story. That way, they can get a staff member or visitor to print out a hard copy. There's still a long way to go in making prisons accessible to journalists.
2: I think that a lot of state prison systems are rethinking their notions of punishment a little bit, and hopefully coinciding with that will be a rethinking of how open they can be with the public. But I'm not sure that's quite happening yet. I mean, there's still a lot of very closed-off prison systems and prison officials who think that letting reporters inside facilities is always a no-go, and allowing too much contact between incarcerated people and the public is dangerous in some ways.
0: For journalists interested in hearing from inmates in their own communities, Eli recommends reaching out to prison writing programs or volunteers who may have established connections. And when it comes to contacting inmates, remember to be clear about who you are and what you're doing.
2: Just being clear that you're a journalist, you're contacting this person not to help them with their legal case, but to learn more about their experience and to hopefully shed light on their experience so that more Americans can know about what goes on but that you're not promising anything will happen in their case or anything like that, because that's obviously what a lot of incarcerated people want.
0: The journalism course, Social Justice Journalism, Mass Incarceration, started as a passion project for Shaheen Pasha and Razvan Sabi. The senior lecturers in UMass Amherst Journalism Department were interested in telling stories about mass incarceration and wondered how they could apply their expertise at the local jail in Northampton, Massachusetts. So they started teaching intro to journalism workshops for inmates over the summer. Here's Shaheen.
1: And at first they were a little skeptical. They weren't even sure they wanted to call it journalism because that makes people nervous.
0: So Shaheen called it a media writing course instead. Still. Shaheen and Razvan, who goes by Raz, had bigger ideas. What if they created a prison journalism course that offered college credit to both UMass journalism students and the incarcerated men they were teaching? It was an ambitious goal. I'd
3: love to say we followed a lot of models, but we made up a whole lot of it as we went along.
0: That's Raz, who co-created the class and teaches it with Shaheen. No one had really done this before. At San Quentin State Prison in California, Inmates produce a newspaper with the help of UC Berkeley journalism students. But what Shaheen and Roz wanted to do was a bit different.
1: We were actually having our inside guys come up with story ideas, and then they were working in partnership with our students from UMass, and the guys in Hampshire County were reporting on issues and things that mattered to them, talking to the people inside, trying to get interviews with staff and administrators and all of that, while our outside students were going and getting the experts
0: and another unique aspect of their course? They wanted all students, inside and out, to receive college credit.
3: And the problem with that is that credits cost money. Matriculated students pay for those credits through their tuition. Outside students, like in our case, the guys in jail would be, they are supposed to pay out of pocket, and it's hundreds of dollars per credit. So the question was, do we get money from somewhere, grants or donations of some sort, or do we convince the university at all levels to waive the fees for the credit?
0: Luckily, they were able to convince the university to see the value in waiving fees for incarcerated students. But getting to that point took nearly three years.
3: We approached it like journalists. <laughs> we knocked on their doors, sent them emails, talk on the phone. We used every personal relationship we had with administrators at UMass at different levels.
0: When it came to working with prison officials, the two drew on credibility they'd built up from volunteering at the jail over the course of three years. But they still had to establish trust.
3: Really, we took it one day at a time. We kept pushing and pushing in every direction. Just when we thought we had it scheduled and it was going to happen, we had elections on a national level, but also local level and the longtime sheriffs. Was stepping down, was retiring, so everything got put on hold because the new sheriff was gonna come in.
0: To sell the idea to prison officials, Shaheen and Raz kept going back to the root of the project.
3: We have
1: to remember why we're there. We're there as educators, and there's oftentimes this very sort of antagonistic relationship where you're constantly pushing back against people in authority as journalists. And when you're in a situation like this, understanding the bureaucracies, understanding that, you know, there are very real safety concerns, there are a lot of issues at play, that you have to remember you're there to educate people, and that's your primary goal. It's not to antagonize anyone, and it's not to bring down the soul system.
0: Eventually, Shaheen said, officials got on board with their vision.
1: Journalists, we are there, we're trying to break stories, and that's good. But when you're inside educating, you're there as a teacher. And that was something that we emphasized to each other. And that was something that, you know, the jail eventually came to understand.
0: There were also ethical challenges. Inmates who were interviewed signed releases, in part to prevent intimidation. The waivers helped ensure that the interviewed inmates understood that what they said could potentially be published. These weren't just homework assignments.
1: We had to make sure that there was no sense of intimidation, that if I don't talk to you, something bad's gonna happen.
0: They wanted the inmate reporters not to put themselves in danger, like talking to a rival gang member for a story. But no story ideas were off limits, and most came from inmates drawing from their own experiences.
1: We had stories about education, prison abolition, race and class, how sneakers and the types of sneakers that they choose to get or that they're allowed to get serve as identity markers within prison. We did stories about cooking. That was a popular one.
0: They even delved into topics like parenting behind bars and unintended consequences of the Prison Rape Elimination Act. The prison wasn't shielded from scrutiny either.
3: We did have to negotiate some issues around access to administrators. They answered our questions when they felt like they could and wanted to, and they didn't when they didn't. Again, for a journalist, nothing unusual.
0: Shaheen and Raz also made an effort to use critical interviews from inside as part of larger trend pieces rather than focusing on the conditions of the single prison that housed the incarcerated students. Despite the ethical dilemmas and challenges that come with publishing inmates writing, Shaheen said they're the experts on the realities of America's prisons.
1: We're sitting there and we're writing about mass incarceration. We're not inside. There is no way a person can really understand what it means to be incarcerated unless they are experiencing that, experiencing those moments in solitude, those moments of chaos, those moments of sheer boredom that the inmates told us about.
0: One of Shaheen and incarcerated students put it this way.
1: He said that the first day in prison is like the first day of school, where you have to look around and figure out what groups to join or what's going on. And that to me was so powerful because I would never have thought of it that way. And that's why it's so important to have these guys learn these skills about journalism, to be able to write these types of stories, to be able to tell us things that are happening inside or mindsets that are going on, because we would never understand. And I think it gives them a voice too.
0: the 17 UMass journalism students and the 10 Hampshire County Jail students, the weekly two-hour class on Wednesday evenings was a place where time flew by. Discussions on the criminal justice system lasted for hours as they talked about readings like Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow and topics like toxic masculinity. They also listened to portions of the podcast Ear Hustle. Set in the San Quentin State Prison, the podcast is co-produced by inmates and tells stories from inside. Shaheen remembers a moment early in the semester in 2017 when she played a snippet.
1: We put it on for them, and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody's listening, and then one by one we start seeing that the guys are nodding, and that they're laughing, and that they're looking at each other. And it changed the dynamic, because once they were listening to this, and then they saw that our UMass students were really listening and really trying to understand it, they broke the ice in some way, because all of a sudden, All these guys are jumping up and they're talking about, yeah, I can relate to this and this happened to me and that happened to me. And then there was this real dialogue and it wasn't this cautious, I'm only going to tell you what I want you to know kind of a thing. It was an actual moment of we're peers. We want to tell you these stories.
0: In Shaheen Raz's class, each group of students had something different to offer and the class was often built on mutual learning. At first, students had some reservations, but stereotypes quickly dissolved.
1: One of our Hampshire County students put it, he was worried at the beginning that it was just what he called prison porn. Just basically these privileged students come in and are just excited to like gawk at people behind bars. And by the end of it, that's not how it was. That wasn't how it was at the beginning, but that was their fear. And they really said that it was not that experience. They felt like peers.
0: The UMass journalism students saw the importance of talking with the community they're covering, Shaheen and Raz said. And for the incarcerated students, the class gave them more than just journalism skills or a platform to have their voices heard by a larger audience. For some, it provided them with the confidence to see college as an option.
3: How are you going to go to college after you've been incarcerated if you cannot even imagine yourself in a college course? So we brought the college course to them. They saw themselves thriving in a college course. Not only doing well, not only being able to hold their own with college kids in discussions, in assignments, in readings, in everything, in reporting, but also enjoying it.
0: And that was Shaheen and Raz's ultimate goal all along.
3: And we for it from more than one guy from the inside that said, I never thought I could do this. College was not on my radar and never would have been. But now I'm considering... Once I get out, I'm considering maybe going to a community college.
0: Thanks for listening. Take a look at our episode notes for links to the Life Inside series, information on Shaheen and Raz's class, and resources for reporting on the justice system. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Tessa Weinberg.
3: Podcast. I do that P- okay. yeah. Podcast. Podcast.